As I was thinking about what I'm going to do tonight, I thought about this. I really used to enjoy late night TV. Now you say, what do you mean late night TV? Well, something after 10 o'clock, like after the news, you know, there was, there was like we had Johnny Carson. Then we had David Letterman. Then we had Jay Leno. Now, some of you, when I say these names are so young, you don't even know who Johnny Carson is. But anyway, what, the reason I really enjoyed, especially Carson and Leno, they, they from time to time, and I didn't always sit and watch the whole program, but from many nights, they would, they would have interesting people on to interview. And, uh, and, and then they had the monologue, and sometimes it was pretty good. Letterman was a, a world-class interviewer. He, he really knew how to ask questions and let people uh, answer the questions. Carson, you know, he was one of a kind. Uh, he just had his own unique way, and that was very— And then Jay Leno, you know, he came along kind of the— uh, He's a little bit different, but not the same. But the thing I liked about Jay Leno, one of the things was, from time to time, he would just go out on the street, like— uh, and he'd have the microphone. Now you just picture this. He's just out on the busy street and he would just walk up to people like he had no idea who they were. Maybe they knew who he was. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. But he had his microphone and he would, he would ask them a question. And it would normally be a very simple question. It was not some, you had to be a PhD to answer the question. He would just ask people basic questions that you would think any normal human being would probably know the answer to those questions. Sometimes they would be Bible questions, but not very often. And, and he would just ask the question and just stick the microphone almost in their face. Now, I've always thought, now, how would I feel if I'm just walking down the street and somebody comes up with a microphone, asks me a question, and just sticks it in my face and TV cameras? Or Well, they would give the answers. Now, I've often wondered, had Leno asked this question, name one of your best friends, uh, it would, you know, how would they have answered that question? Well, they would have named maybe some family member or some friend they had, whatever. Now, if tonight, now we're not on a street, we're in a church house. We're in a church building. Most people brought their Bibles. If, if tonight when you had come in, not me, but let's say I had just brought in someone you had never seen. So you had no idea who they were. And you walk in the door to come in the church and all of a sudden someone just sticked, stuck a microphone in your face and said, who would be one of your best friends? Now, I would think, because we're in church, have you ever noticed people in church give church answers? Have you ever noticed that? Now, if you get us out away from the church and ask the very same question, we would perhaps give different answers. But I really do believe, had that happened to any of us here or any of you watching, your church people, you wouldn't be watching. Like, you would have probably answered, I would have probably answered, well, God, uh, you know, Jesus would be one of my very best friends. And, and these, these or we might, have, we might have named a family member. We might have named a friend. Certainly, we would, even if we had done that, we would, by implication, all of us believe that God is our best friend. Could I have an amen to that? Hey, God is our best friend. But I want to talk to you tonight and if you'll take your bulletin, I think you might want to just kind of fill in a little thing or two as you go on. I want to talk to you tonight about one of your best friends. Now, I'm talking to the church crowd. I'm not talking to the people on the street. 
But what I say applies to the people on the street. But the bulletin says it well. We're going to think about one of your best friends that you may not think about as a friend. And you say, Pastor, who in the world is that? Well, you might want to fill in the Bible, fill in the blank, and the, the, the answer is the Bible. I gave you the answer before I told you what to fill in. The Bible, you may never have thought about really your Bible as a really good friend. Now, our best friend is Jesus. That's a given. Okay. But we're going to come back to this in just a moment and deal with it. Now, as I thought about what we're going to be doing tonight, and it's going to be fun what we're doing tonight, I thought maybe the starting place would be, and you have no blanks to fill in for a little while, but I thought, you know, maybe the starting place would be is to answer this question, like, what is a friend? We talk about a friend, like, how would you define a friend? How would you explain a friend? Well, I looked up some little ways, and I mentioned two or three of them very quickly. I thought they were rather good. Number one says a friend is someone who knows, a friend is someone who is there when the good times aren't. Now, that's a great way to say what that person said. Another said, friendship is like a sheltering tree. Friends are those whose lives are like branches. They provide refuge and comfort. Now, that's a good, not necessarily a definition of a friend, but that's a good word picture of a friend. Then another said, false friends, and sometimes we have false friends, are like a shadow, keeping close while we walk in the sunshine, but leaving us when we cross into the shade. You know, my mother used to say, Dodgers quoted this many times, quoting my mother, that one thing in life that will surprise you is when you're going through dark times, who shows up and who doesn't show up? Have you ever noticed that? It, it's, it's, it's really mind-boggling. Uh, and I think that's what this person here is, is referring, like this shadow friend. Now, of course, there are levels of friendship, and there are many different um, you, you can study levels of friendship and come up with a, a lot of different <laughs> ways to say it. But let, let me just run over just, I, I read this and I thought it was really good. It says six levels of friendship. Now like we all have friends, but all of our friends are not, uh, you know, they're not all, they're, they may be, I'm not saying they're not equal as far as people, but in our friendship, it's not that way. I, I thought this was interesting. Said, well, the first level of friendship, this would be about the lowest level of friendship, and this study is classified as a stranger. And I went on to read about this as a stranger. You have seen them before, and perhaps you've even spoken to them. You may or may not know their name. And I was thinking, now, who would that be an example? Okay, a checker in H-E-B. Many times we go through the same line at H-E-B, and, and, and numbers of times the same, the same ladies do. I, I see her name here pinned on, but, you know, we kind of recognize one another. We're polite to one another, but like, you know, that's kind of a stranger friendship. Number two, a colleague, someone you work with. Uh, you know their name. You may do projects with them, uh, but that's about it. And of course, in the work world, we all, you know, we, we have that level of friendship. Then an acquaintance, you spend time with them for various reasons, but you don't hang out with them. 
And, and I can think of people that they would have that friendship level, and I'm sure I would have that to them. And then number four, a friendship. You know, enjoy the time that you spend with them, but you don't make much effort to be around them. Now, that's a true thing. You certain people you enjoy being around, you enjoy spending time with them, but you don't ever initiate much of that because it's just not that level of friendship. Then it's a close friend. Uh, you care about things they go through and they bring out the best in you. And that's a great kind of friend. And then the, the number six, I'd never heard it said this way, but I liked it, a significant friend. These are people that you can say, now listen to this, I love you and you're not trying to get anything out of them. You're not trying to get them to do anything. You just, they are a significant friend in your heart. You love them. You're not trying to manipulate them. You're not trying to sell them something. You're not trying to even get them to do anything. You just mean when you say that, I really do love you. That is a great level of friendship. Now, you know, the Bible has so much to say about friends. You might just want some space at the bottom. You might want to jot the little verses down. A Proverbs 17, verse 17 says, a friend loves at all times. That's probably one of the best descriptions of a real friend that I know, and it's in the Bible. The Bible says in the next chapter in Proverbs 18, verse 24, the Bible says there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That is, there are those friends. <laughs> As my mother said, you'll be surprised when you're going through something hard, who shows up? Well, this kind of friend shows up. They show up. When you move from the sunshine to the shadow time and the dark time, and that's what that verse is talking about. And then I love this verse. You know, we know, we, we quote the first part of this verse much, but we kind of either have not read the rest of the verse or we don't think it says, as iron sharpens iron. How many times have you heard that statement? It's in the Bible. It's in Proverbs chapter 27. In verse seven, as iron sharpens iron, but here's what the rest of that verse says. So a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. You know, that's a, a, a significant friend. If they're at that level, they will sharpen you. And hopefully we're all that to other people and we'll be a blessing and sharpen the countenance of those that we call our friends. Now, all that little stuff said, I wish you'd open your Bible, please, to the book of James, go over back near the end of the New Testament, and I want us to read something about what the Bible has to say about friends. In, in James chapter number, in James chapter number three, which is where we have printed our bulletin tonight, James chapter number two, excuse me, in verse number 23, James chapter two, verse 23, the Bible has many examples of friends. And we could spend all of our Bible study time dealing with that tonight, but we'll not, but we'll touch on it. James 2.23 says, um, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. And we read that back in Genesis chapter 15, verse number six. And then the Bible says, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. In other words, it was credited to him. He became right with God because he believed in God. But look at the rest of this verse. And he was called the friend of God. So Abraham is a man in the Bible that is actually referred to as a friend of God. 
Now, let me get you to jot down a couple of other verses. We'll not take time to flip all over the Bible there. But back in Isaiah, in chapter 41, verse number eight, God himself referred to Abraham as his friend. That's a great verse. In fact, in my Bible, I have written in the margin beside James 2.23, Isaiah 41.18. Let me give you one other text, scripture you might write down. 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 21. And really it's the first seven verses in that chapter. It's a prayer. It's one of the most beautiful prayers in the Bible. The, the Ammonites were coming to attack the Israelites. And Jehoshaphat prayed a prayer and asking God for their protection. And if you read that prayer, it's a beautiful prayer. In that prayer, he called Abraham God's friend. And so the Bible gives a great illustration about how Abraham was a friend of God. And then, of course, one of the most beautiful friendships mentioned in the Bible is a friendship of Jonathan and David. We've all heard of that friendship. And then when you talk about friends in the Bible, you'd, you'd be amiss if you didn't mention Job's three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And, uh, you know, he went through all the stuff he went through, and each one of them, sincere they were, but they were telling him why he was having all these problems. And you, you might want to write this down. I hope you don't have many friends like this. In Job chapter 16, verse 2, Job chapter 16, verse 2, Job called his three friends, listen to this, miserable comforters. Do you have any of those? I hope not. I hope we're not ever that. I, whatever our level of friendship is, God help us not be. Our friends think of us as miserable comforters. Now, you know, if you went back and studied the book of Job and read about all I mean, the whole book revolves around, you know, what happened to Job, but then Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, these three friends. Now, they did a good thing. They came and they sat down. And if I remember correctly, maybe off on the day, it seems like for seven days or something, they just said nothing, which is the best thing they did. That's called the ministry of presence. You know, a real friend may not, they may just show up and it's not what they say or don't say. But their problem was when they opened their mouth and started saying, Job, here's, here's why you're having this problem. Each one of them had a different idea, and all three of them were wrong. But later he called them miserable comforters. Now, uh, with, with that said, what I want us to do tonight, I want us to look at some reasons why the Bible is your best friend. And I hope you feel that way towards your Bible. As I was getting out of the car tonight, I said, Donnie, wait a minute, I need to get something out of my glove compartment. And uh, I did, and she kind of walked on ahead of me, and as we were coming in the door of the church, she was a distance from me. I held this little New Testament up, and I said, do you remember this Bible? And she looked and said, oh, I remember that. And uh, this is a very special Bible. You know, we talk about the Bible is our best friend. How many of us have more than one Bible? Raise your hand. Okay. How many have more than like 10 Bibles? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of us in all of our Bibles, however many we have, some of them are special because of when we had that in our life? Does that make sense what I'm saying? Uh, like this Bible, this little New Testament. You know, when God called me to preach, 
uh, I had to go back to university to finish my university work before I went to seminary. And during that almost three-year period of time, two and a half years, this little church called us to be their pastors. One of the best blessings. It was a wonderful time. They knew we would only be there two and a half years. So if, if they didn't like us, they knew they didn't have us forever. And then you'd be leaving and they knew we didn't know much what to do. So they didn't really think we'd do much right. And if we did something right, they were happy and they didn't while well, they just forgave us. But I learned a lot passing that little church. But when we left the little church, Dottie gave me this little New Testament. And, uh, and she wrote in the front of it, uh, on August the 15th, 1969, we were, we were preparing to uh, journey on to seminary. And she wrote in here, as you witness, may this be your guide. My love and prayers always go with you. And I have used this little New Testament to share how to become a Christian probably more than any other one little thing. It's easy to put in your pocket. And every time I see it, I'm reminded of my first church, reminded that he gave me this Bible. I showed it to John just a moment ago, and I said, John, do you know about this Bible? He said, no. I said, well, I'm going to tell him about it. It's been very special to me. I said, when I'm gone, I'm, I want you to have it. He said, thank you. I said, well, I'm not going anywhere. So I just wanted to know. I do want to have another special Bible I have. I should have brought it tonight. The Bible Dottie gave me on our 50th wedding anniversary. We had our family together for a very special time. Dottie gave me this Bible. I just, I've, uh, it's, it's an NIV, and I've I, it just, it's just, oh, it's just, and, but of course, what makes that Bible special is, is the fact that, that it has that great meaning. Uh, another Bible that's very special to me, I don't have it, uh, is the Bible that I had. Uh, during seminary, my entire seminary experience, my seminary Bible. And when Joel and Jody were married, I used that Bible to do their wedding ceremony. And I later gave them that Bible. So they have, but that's a very special Bible. And uh, now you have some special Bible. And then I, like I have over, this is really awful to say, but maybe it's good to say, like I have another special Bible is the Bible that was given to me when I graduated from high school. And it remained my Bible till long, several years after we were married. So as an older teenager until, well, we were married when I was 23, and that Bible stayed my special Bible uh, right on till even after I went to seminary. And they were using a different translation. I kind of changed Bibles. Uh, that, that's a dear, dear, dear Bible to me. And, and, and I know right, I can see right now where it sits amongst all my Bibles. Uh, at the church, in my study here, I probably have 60 to 70 Bibles. And then I've moved about 30 Bibles home. So you say, well, no man needs that many Bibles. Uh, correct. Uh, you just, over that many years, you just, as a preacher, you just accumulate all the Bibles. And like the first 10 years I was pastor of this church, that Bible has kind of been retired, but I know right where it sits, and I have some good little things I've written in it, and I kind of know where stuff is. So you're, you're the very same way, but it's not just, it doesn't matter which, it, all of it is God's Word, amen? And I'm saying to you, the Bible, I'm going to build this case in the little time I have, the Bible is one of your and my best friends. And you say, well, how is that so? Well, if you'll take your sheet, we'll launch into that and move along in the time we have. Well, first reason is the Bible 
is God speaking. So if you'll just write down the word, the Bible is God speaking. In other words, when you read your Bible, you're reading what God has said. Now turn with me in 2 Timothy. Let's just all turn together in 2 Timothy and turn over in chapter number 3 in that famous verse, verse number 16. I'm just going to build my case that the Bible is one of our best friends. It really is. One reason is <laughs> the Bible is God speaking. In other words, uh, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, most everyone listening to me knows for me with this verse, but look at it. All Scripture, underline the word all, all Scripture is what? Given by inspiration of God. Yeah. It, it's, it's God breathed. God chose holy men and he spoke through them. And that's what we have. So when, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And that's one reason it's one of our very best friends. Now, number two, the Bible tells you what is right, what is not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. That's a long bunch of words, but you'll write that down. Now, you don't have a friend anywhere like that. Nowhere. Because the Bible is right at every one of these. Now, look back in our verse, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. Now, look at this. It's profitable. Well, like what good is it? Well, here's what good it is. It's good for doctrine. Doctrine teaches you what is right. Now, we live in a day and time where there's a lot of middle ground. But with God, there is no middle ground. I mean, right's right and wrong's wrong. And the Bible always tells us what is right. Not only that, the Bible is profitable for reproof. What does that mean? It means what's not right. If you want to know something right or not right, here's, here's how you know. Right here. Not only that, for correction tells us how to get right. And for instruction in righteousness tells us uh, how to stay right. Now you stop and think about this. We're all blessed with friends, but none of us have a friend, nor are we a friend that work in both ways. What they tell us or what we tell them is always right. It's not. We're imperfect. Okay. But God's word is always perfect. Or we, we, you know, we might tell people what's wrong. Well, we may not be right about that either. Or tell them how to get right. Job's three friends, <laughs> they told him how to get right, and all three of them are wrong every single time. Okay? And then how to stay right. And so I'm saying the Bible is, is one of our very best friends because why it tells us what's right, tells us what's not right, tells us how to get right, and tells us how to stay right. Now, let's just move along. Now, the Bible keeps you from sin. Now, boy, write this one down, how true this is. Uh, you see, the Bible will keep you from sin, or listen carefully, or sin will keep you from the Bible. I've heard that all my life. D.L. Moody is credited with ever coming up with that statement. He was an American evangelist of the 19th century. Uh, he founded the Moody Church. He founded the Moody Bible Institute. And that little saying has been labeled as something he said back in his days of preaching. The Bible will keep you from sin. Well, that's right. I mean, as we read our Bible, 
We just see things that kind of work on us. Today, if you read Oswald Chambers, boy, today, Oswald Chambers' devotion was Grand Slam Home Run. It it was 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. You ought to write that verse down. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. If you have Chambers, you ought to read that devotion tonight. If you don't have Chambers, at least read the verse. And that verse spoke to me in such a, it's talking about our, the hidden things, you know, talking about we have to beware of having th- hidden things, things that we wouldn't, thoughts, for example, that we would not, we'd be embarrassed to death if everybody knew of those thoughts, those called hidden things. And he dealt with that in a beautiful way today. But as you read the Bible, wherever you read it, the Bible will keep you from sin. And sin will keep you from the Bible. And how true that is. People that do not read their Bible consistently, there's a reason they don't read their Bible consistently. And I guarantee you what it is. It's sin. It may not be a specific sin, but it's sin that would have them thinking about something else going in some other direction. Number five, the Bible tells you what to do when you do sin. And we do sin. And when you jot that down, I want you to remember 1 John in the book of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, one of the greatest verses in the Bible for Christians. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Now remember, all of 1 John's written to Christians, okay? This, this book has zero to do with a non-believer. 1 John, written to Christians, people like you, people like me. And uh, it's very interesting. You know, we still sin when we become a Christian. You say, well, we sinned before we became a Christian. What's the difference? <laughs> the, the difference is once you become a Christian, you don't feel very comfortable when you sin. You know, you call it guilt. You call it whatever you want to call it. Well, it, it, a believer doesn't want to sin, but we still do sin because we have still human nature. But when we do sin, uh, th- this is one of the great things about the Bible. It tells us what to do. If we confess our sins... God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, what does that mean? The Bible tells us what to do when you sin. We all sin. If we confess our sins, it means we agree with God about our sins. We say, God, today I responded in a way that you say I shouldn't respond Or I said something that I, that I wish I hadn't said it. Or maybe I didn't say something I should have said. Or I, whatever. You, you just agree with God. Like God already knows. You're not letting him in on a secret. He knows what you've been thinking about and what you've been doing, what you've been saying. He does me. But like we agree with God. Uh, it says he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me give you a couple of verses to put maybe on the paper now, maybe later in the margin of your Bible. Psalm 32, 5 would be a great verse to write. And Proverbs 28, 13. They kind of have something to do with 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. So one of the reasons the Bible is one of my best friends is the Bible tells me what to do when I sin. And uh, you won't have many friends like that. Now, reason number six, the Bible is our guide. Boy, now listen. We all need a guide in life, I can tell you that. And the Bible is our guide. If you want to look back in Psalm 119, just a moment to be sure you have this marked in your Bible. I'm turning back Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. But if you look in Psalm 119, in all but about interesting, 
all but about seven or eight verses in the entire long Psalm 119 deal with the Word of God. There are about seven verses or eight verses, I forget exact number, in this long psalm that do not refer to, now it'll, it'll use different words like commandments, statutes, and this type of thing, but all talking about the Word of God. But in Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, God's Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In other words, a guide. Now we have friends that give us counsel and give us advice, but the problem is, None of them, none of us are perfect. And even though we may give the counsel and try to be a guide in this and a guide in that, we're not going to be 100%. They're not going to be 100%. But you have a friend that's always 100%. You say, who is that? It's your Bible. The same Holy Spirit of God that inspired these words will we'll guide you to apply them to your life in every situation in life. And that is a blessed thing. Now, number seven, and there are more, but I just had time for what I'm going to do. Here's a good one. The Bible can be with you 24-7. Now, you don't have another friend can do that. And you might be thankful for that. I don't think I know anybody who won't move with me except Dottie. She puts up with me 24-7. But, uh, you know, that's a great thing. I was praying with one of our good members today going to have surgery in the morning. Serious. And I was mentioning a verse that might be a good verse for her. And I reminded her that, you know, tomorrow you'll finally, you won't, your husband won't be able to go anymore with you. They'll take you from that little holding area on to surgery. But remember this. You've got a friend that's going to be right there. Isn't that right? Whatever we go through, we have a friend. You say, yeah, but I can't, I can't pack up my Bible and take the surgery. That's why you memorize Scripture. You memorize Scripture so that when you get out in these times, you won't have all of your friend with you. But it's amazing You'll remember those verses you do need, and that'll be God's Word speaking to you in that need. Now, let's move quickly. To understand the Bible, you have to ask three questions, and I want you to be sure you get this. Number one, wherever you're reading the Bible, these three questions will help you greatly. First of all, what did it mean then? In other words, you read something in the Scripture, uh, you know, Isaiah's Given his prophecy, Jeremiah's his prophecy. What did it mean to those people that he wrote in that day? That's the importance of knowing context of Scripture. Number two, here's the question number two. How does it apply now? Okay. So I asked the question, okay, this is what it meant then, but how does that principle, that lesson apply to me now? And then number three, and until you've answered number three, you're really not into the Bible. You're just studying the Bible. You're not, you know, it's like you're just studying like a book. But question number three, how does it apply to me personally? That's, that's really the important part. You know, you read the Bible. Like I was reading that Second Corinthians chapter 4 today just as a spinoff of my chamber's devotion. And I thought, well, now wait a minute here. You know, and I, I, I did a little study on, you know, Paul writing the Corinthians and all that. And that's what it meant to him. Then I began to think, well, now what is this? How does this how does this impact me personally? You know, 
if, if you read the proverb of the day, and if you don't, I encourage you to do so. Well, then tomorrow, you're going to read Proverbs 16. And whether you read Proverbs every day or not, you ought to try Proverbs 16 tomorrow. Because in Proverbs chapter 16, the, I just my eye fell over on the verse today when I was reading Proverbs 15. I wasn't even thinking about the sermon tonight. I was just reading Proverbs 15. And my eyes glanced over at verse number 20 in Proverbs 16. Here's what it says. He who heeds the word wisely will find good. And whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he.